Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. Today's episode is episode 348, and I'm sitting down with Kate Sevilla to talk all about how to work without losing your mind. What a concept, right? Kate and I had such a fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it uh, because unfortunately, the subject matter here is so relatable because work like the modern realities of work can be so maddening one of the themes that keeps coming up uh in Kate's work and that came up in our conversation quite a bit is just how many of us get thrown into management positions or managing teams or projects for the first time in our lives without proper training or have the unpleasant experience of being managed by someone who's never really had thoughtful devoted time focused on management training. Uh, and I didn't want to, you know, interrupt Kate while she was making such a good point about this in our interview, which you'll hear in a minute. I do want to mention that that's why we launched Level Up, our six-month leadership accelerator, which is having tremendously impactful results for both the current team leaders who manage people and for the aspiring managers who we call emerging leaders who've joined us in the program and over the course of six months are not only up leveling their own skills as leaders and managers on the rise, but are also seeing tremendous outer recognition in the form of promotions, raises, advancement opportunities, and just more recognition for their executive presence and their increased strategic contributions. So I'm like, burping over here at 34 weeks pregnant right now. <laughs> oh God, the baby's moving right now too. It's just like, it's just a rodeo show, clown show, circus act. I don't know. I feel like a sideshow freak right now trying to breathe, work, podcast, and grow a human at the same time. So buckle up y'all. It's a real episode full of real life realities um, that Kate and I talk quite frankly about. Uh, and I think you'll find it relatable, hopefully a little refreshing, maybe even a little funny. I don't know. You kind of need to laugh at the absurdity of it all <laughs> to keep yourself sane. Uh, so I hope you enjoy what we have to say. And if you're the kind of person who wants to really work on your leadership and management skills, check out Level Up now. We're enrolling right now. Space is limited, uh, but we're launching our next cohort very soon. And you can get all the details at bossedup.org slash level up. And we have a proposal and some really fancy-looking collateral material for you there to help persuade your boss to pay for it, which is what we're here to help you do. Cool. 
All right, let me jump into today's episode by introducing you to Kate. Kate Sevilla has led and managed editorial teams for some of the world's largest media and tech companies, including Google, BuzzFeed, and Microsoft. She was a founding member of BuzzFeed UK and later later became the editor-in-chief over at The Pool. She was at the helm, unfortunately, when the company imploded just a few months later. She'll tell you more about that. And now Kate serves as a freelance writer and is the author of an awesome book that just came out this past January, How to Work Without Losing Your Mind, A Realistic Guide to the Hell of Modern Work. (laughs) Quite a title. Love it. She's also a podcaster in her own right. She's got a limited serial podcast uh, called The Heart of It, which you can check out on her website or wherever you're listening to this podcast. She's interviewed some really cool people there. And now I'm so excited to introduce you to Kate Sevilla, who is a very interesting and cool person in her own right. Kate is an American with Filipino heritage who was born in California and moved to London almost 10 years ago now, I want to say, at age 20 to marry a British man she met on MySpace. 14 years later, they're doing as strong and well as ever. And in fact, she's got a five-month-old baby you'll hear in the background in our uh, in our interview today. So enjoy my chat with Kate Sevilla. I certainly did, and I think you will too. Kate, welcome officially to the Bust Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be chatting with you. You are an American abroad, first of all, who's mm-hmm. writing about work, specifically work, how to do it without losing your mind, which I'm very excited to learn more about. Tell us a little bit about what inspired this line of work for you. Yeah, so I basically, (laughs) I had a really tough time at work. So Mm -hmm. um, kind of historically, I've worked in uh, content on the internet for for quite a (laughs) while. Um, And I worked at tech companies doing content for them. So I was at Microsoft. Um, Sometimes I was at, you know, just straightforward publications like BuzzFeed. Um, And uh, I had a really (laughs) kind of difficult few years Mm. um, where I had, uh, I worked at a a startup that was run by the old Top Gear uh, mm. for our American audiences, the British ones, the original ones, like Jeremy Clarkson, those guys, and uh, which was mental. And then I was at Google, which was even weirder, and I had a really difficult time there. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to get out of tech. I'm going to go back to just working at publications. And then I got this wonderful job being editor-in-chief at a website for women called The Pool. And it was really cool. And I was so excited. And then four months into that, the company just like shut down, like oh, overnight, stopped paying people. Um, so <laughs> I was it was too good to be very, true. Yeah. A precarious situation with having no job and missing a salary <laughs> for three months. And I basically was just like, right, what is it that I want to do? Because I do not have the energy or the kind of emotional wherewithal to go through another tough working experience working for somebody else and I thought to myself okay what is it that I want to do and I had this list on my phone of things that I had learned at work Mm. over the last you know five ten years and I thought oh you know maybe one day that could be an article maybe one day that could be uh, a podcast maybe Mm. and then I was like you know actually what you want to do really that you don't want to admit to yourself is that you want to write a book Um, So I kind of had to go through all of the 
you know, when you kind of hide what you actually want from yourself, I kind of had to get to the the heart of what mm-hmm. it is that I wanted to do. And that was the kind of premise for writing this book. Well, congratulations, because going from admitting it to yourself to actually making it happen is <laughs> no easy feat. Yeah. I, I had a coaching call recently with one of our Level Up leadership clients. And by the end of the call, I was like, wait a minute. Are you saying that you really want to be working in international relations? Is that what I'm hearing? And she was like, yes, I do. You know, it was like a dirty yeah. secret. And she wasn't that far from it, but we weren't even talking about how to get after that. It was like, yeah. maybe the job after the next job I get will be yeah. the one I want. Maybe and one I day like, I can finally yeah. do the thing I actually want to do. <laughs> and I just think that's so important to 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 find the space and time and if if necessary, the other person that you can ad- admit that to out loud. Um, you know, what's funny about your work is your book in particular, which came out this past January, how to work without losing your mind. Am I getting that right? You are. Yes. Um, is that it felt a little bit like a therapy session. (laughs) It feels, I don't know. There was part of me that was like, damn, this must've been really cathartic to write. Uh, because you do just kind of poke fun at the absurdity of the modern workplace. Did it feel like that when you were writing it or did it feel kind of scary to write all of these stories down or like how, how it's, there's something very British about it and how dry and like, you know, uh, you're taking the piss of the whole workplace is what I feel like (laughs) if I remember my British slang well. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. And people listening are probably like, she sounds very American. Uh, I am American. I've lived in the UK for a long time. So my vocabulary, my sense of humor, uh, my sense of culture, I guess, is just a complete kind of mishmash (laughs) now. Um, But yeah, no, it's funny you say it felt like therapy because I actually dedicate the book um, partly to my husband and also to my therapist. Nice. Um, Big on therapy. (laughs) I've been going for a very long time. Um, And yeah, this book was definitely um, cathartic to write. I needed to write it, I think, to selfishly to kind of process what I had been through um, in various different jobs and just kind of over the last uh, decade, I guess, of of work. Um, But it it also was kind of scary to write. Um, There (laughs) were particular chapters that I found quite difficult. And then there were some parts of it that you know, felt really kind of easy and just kind of, uh, flowed out of you as they say. That's great. Um, yeah. But you know, some of it was kind of like, Oh God, I have to relive this as I write it, which was quite difficult sometimes. I mean, I can't tell you how many women come through our doors at Boss up with workplace trauma. It's straight yeah. up trauma and it's yeah. like gaslighting. It's just like, there is something truly absurd about how many of our workplaces are designed these days, which you describe in poetic detail in your book but like it makes you as the individual think you're the crazy one like am I crazy or are we having constant meetings and no one has time to get their work done how how are we supposed to do that you know what I mean like yeah there's just so much to the modern workplace that seems like we've gone awry somewhere uh I wonder if you can sort of give us some of the top lines or like what were the biggest um chapters maybe that either caused you some strife while writing them or that caused the most response in your readership? Yeah, I think dealing with difficult bosses. So I kind of start the book that way because I think that accounts for so much of our experience at work. And I don't think that people 
take uh, the kind of stress that can be caused ultimately by your manager at work. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's your, your manager and then the overall working environment of wherever it is that you are working. But managers have so much to answer for. Yeah. And in a way, it's not even their fault because the right. whole system is broken. You have people who... Um, should never be managing other people. Yeah. And yet as part of a promotion, as part of like a reward system, they are then granted a team, five, yeah. 10, 15, 20, 60, sometimes people when they've never managed somebody before. Yeah. And that system of being rewarded with a team without being given the necessary uh, training to manage people because you are doing a job, yeah. but then also managing people at the same time. It's it's so, so difficult and it's complex and you really, really have to want to do it. And you right. absolutely need support from your managers in order to be able to do it successfully. True. And that whole you know thought process just isn't happening in so right. many places. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And it's, it's on top of doing your individual contributor work. Like oftentimes yeah. managers are rewarded with a team to manage, but nothing else is taken off their plate. <laughs> I'm like, no. uh, how is that thing. supposed to work exactly? Yeah. It's so, yeah. so hard. So I think, um, that chapter in particular, I think was cathartic for me to write. Um, mm. and also I've, I've had a, a big response from people who are like, yeah, I, the, the stress, the complicated nature of my relationship with my manager is so difficult. Mm. And then equally from people who are like, God, I read your chapter on, you know, how not to be a terrible boss. And I, I think everyone thinks that they're a better manager than they actually are. (laughs) So it's, you know, being open to the idea that, oh, maybe I'm not getting everything right. Right. And then people go, oh, I'm not getting, you know, terrible feedback from my team. It's like, well, are you even asking? Are you even kind of like opening and giving space for that conversation to be had? And are you actually listening and paying attention? You know, probably not as much as you think we are. I think it's tricky, especially too, when you layer on gender and race and all the other intersectional identities that people have yes. going into a first-time manager role because, A, there's a power dynamic inherent there, right? You're not yep. going to get feedback just like asking, like, how am I doing? You know, like yeah. that just doesn't happen to yeah. your point. But then people of color face, you know, different elements of well, she's just really angry or women bosses, you know, get mislabeled as aggressive when they're being assertive. And so there's so many ways in which the measuring stick changes, you know, especially for the women I work with in leadership. And then with the power dynamic on top of it, there's like, if there is no growth mindset on the manager's part, it's very easy to point at other things like systemic injustice or they just have a problem because I got this promotion and they didn't and like just be tough. (laughs) And and then it just gets like, it gets so unproductive so fast when in fact we're just human beings who are trying to, you know, do something relatively meaningful with our lives. And so are our our direct reports, you know? Yeah. And it's that kind of uh, acknowledgement of, the complexities that can can exist between for a huge number of reasons between a manager and their direct report. Um, and then as we were talking before about like the absurdity of it all, when uh-huh. there isn't that sort of perspective of like, if you're having a difficult, difficult time and your manager isn't going, look, I know that this is yeah. like a ridiculous situation to be in. Yeah. I know that we're not curing cancer. I know that right. this is just a slide deck for a client that they want to approve before our next global meeting on Friday. But 
we right. have to get it done. When there's not that kind of overall perspective, I find yeah. that that's when I've had the hardest time is when people aren't acknowledging the absurdity of it all. Right. And, and you start to feel like, oh my, am I the only one who doesn't think that this is the end of the world or who was doing this yeah. ultimately for a paycheck and some other psychological reasons? Like, why, right. like when that isn't acknowledged, the absurdity of it all. Um, you. It, yeah, it, that's the most difficult. That's so interesting because unless you're literally a brain surgeon, like it doesn't right? actually matter. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and that's yeah. why I think burnout you touch upon on your book is so easy for folks mm. to slide into. It's what, what does the WHO call it now? A global workforce phenomenon. Yes. <laughs> Everyone yeah. feels burnt out so often throughout our careers because we get this sort of narrow sense of self-importance around the work when it really might just be someone else's insecurity or their attachment to their professional identity as like the end all be all of their worthiness in this world. Right. Yeah. And then shit gets real wacky and real ridiculous. So really fast. Yeah. How have you navigated that or how do you address that? Therapy. Um, yep. (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> but I think, I mean, but in my work in therapy, I think the the most important thing was realizing what was my stuff, what was mm. my own emotional baggage, and what kind of was my manager's stuff, and mm. being able to go, okay, this is what I can control, and here are all of the other things having to do with you, my manager, that I cannot control, and huh. that acknowledgement of. Oh, actually, the percentage of what I can control here is so much smaller than all of the uncontrollable things and factors. And being able to kind of sit in that discomfort and that knowing and kind of that acceptance of, oh, okay, well, these are the things that are mine and that I'm actually in control of. That helps so much and kind of almost acknowledges the absurdity at the same time because you're going, oh, I can't control the way that you send emails like we can maybe have a conversation about it but ultimately I can't change that that's you Mm. you have so much other stuff clearly going on that's causing you to you know be a micromanager to send these passive aggressive emails and all of these factors really have nothing to do with me so why am I trying to fix it in my head yeah, or, or absorb it, right? Like, yeah. I think there's so many wounds that we get from hurt people managing other people. Oh, my God, yes. Right? And it Everyone is. It, like mental health problems bleeding all over the office. Yeah. Oh, my God. One passive-aggressive sticky note at a time or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's sad. I mean, that's the other emotion I had when, when reading some of your book and looking at some of your writing is just like, sad I'm sad for all of us I'm not sad for you don't don't take this as pity (laughs) but I'm just like oh my god why does this book need to exist where did we go so wrong (laughs) like I don't know if you have a macro level theory or how we get back from this but like are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the world of work obviously as someone who's now doing her own thing as a freelance writer you know, we can draw our own conclusions about that, but I'd be curious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which has its own world of ridiculousness, as I yeah. as I've been finding out. Um, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I mean, COVID has just mm-hmm. changed a lot, but probably won't change nearly as much as we think it will. Um, yeah. 
I think at the beginning we were like, oh, this is just going to be so great because now everyone accepts that we can work from home and that, you know, remote working is possible and that doesn't need to be nine to five, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But I, it's, unfortunately, I think it's going to take a lot more time and some, and, you know, something Mm. other than just like this one big global event um, that people will soon you know, as this goes on and as we kind of move out of this, fingers crossed, uh, I think people are going to forget. And I think Mm. people will not be able to uh, separate the fact of, you know, working from home in a pandemic is not what actually working from home is like. Those are two very different things. And remote working, when your entire team is just suddenly remote working and you're not going to see them for 18 months, is not what, you know, remote working in normal times is actually mm. like so I, I hope that as we progress management teams boards will be able to uh make policies and you know find a way of working that isn't that is better for everyone's mental health in the long run so i guess i do feel optimistic but okay. i also feel kind of realistic about the fact that people will you know rather than taking positive learnings from how things can be more flexible will probably swing the other way for a bit and make things more rigid, unfortunately, and hopefully get a lot of pushback is what I'm suspecting. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I'm, I am. That's interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I agree with you that our, our memory is short, Mm. right? Like managers and, and, and hierarchies memories tends to be quite short when it comes Mm -hmm. to like, how did this work for us? Uh, and I've already heard of um, a friend here in Denver who works for a finance company that was 100% remote. And then their CEO was like, we got to get back to the office, 100% back to the office. So I think it was July. They all went back full time. And he or she, I can't remember, but the CEO got COVID. <laughs> yeah. Funny <laughs> and that. they were like, just kidding. We got to <laughs> shut the whole thing down again. Never mind. Uh, it's so funny how it takes a CEO getting COVID to change yeah. that. It's this thing where like, I think, um, you know, Bumble is a good, but probably not quite so fair example of this is that Whitney Wolf heard when she herself was pregnant was like, yep. well, even our quite good maternity and parental leave policies aren't good enough mm. and then changed it. And that's why you need more people, you know, different people at, at the top to, you know, it's unfortunate that they have to yeah. personally experience it in order to implement it. But Well, what does that I tell think. us about empathy in managers and right. being something of a rarity? Yes. <laughs> like true feeling what other people must be going through is so rare at the top. It's kind of sad. So <laughs> um, well, you're a new mom yourself. I'm on the the brink uh, as we yeah. as we speak, 34 weeks. Uh and one of your latest... you might be able to hear my kid in the background. Sorry. Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. That adds such a good ambiance to this. Well, I was looking at one of your recent opinion pieces about how COVID's exposed the inequality facing working women. Yeah. Uh, and you definitely touch upon government sort of public sector solutions. Uh, and I wonder, you know, you talked about Bumble as an example, and and I think too rare. It's too rare that we make that connection between flexible work schedules and and gender equity. Yeah. Um. So I I just wonder if you'd speak to that as a new mom in particular. Like, where do you see uh, workplaces having room to improve, and how can government make it better for everyone? 
Yeah. I mean, it's such a big, it's a big question. (laughs) And I'm, and I, you know, I'm, I have a five month old and I've been on self-employed maternity leave, like whatever that is. Um, I mean, here in the UK, parental leave is quite good in comparison to how it is um, in the States. I think if you work for, you know, a big corporate employer, it's very common to be able to take a year off, um, you know, a certain percentage of that at full pay, and then it kind of slowly declines, but you're able to do that and your job is protected when you get that. I just want to make sure my American listeners heard that. You said one year paid time off, right? If I were, if I was at Google still, I would have taken a year. Yeah. Yeah. I told my husband that recently and he almost fell off his chair. He was like, wait, what? A whole year? How? I know. It's the same where you get like 25 days holiday here at least. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Right? Holiday means vacation, everyone. Also, just so we're being clear, like PTO. You get more than two weeks and you don't have to accrue the time. (laughs) Right. Right. Wild. Okay. It's, I know, wild. But, um, yeah. So to, to your, your, your question, um, I mean, it's, it is a huge, huge issue that became, uh, to the forefront. It really came to the forefront during COVID. I think people yeah. were like, Oh gosh, childcare is important. It's almost like people <laughs> can't do their jobs if they also have to look after their small children. That's odd. Um, so, I mean, to be honest, there are so many things that need to change, but I think firstly, and the things I, that probably maybe uh, your listeners or people might feel more empowered to do themselves yeah. is to just be more empathetic at work towards people with families. And totally. it's easy. For example, you can probably hear my kid crying in the background <laughs> right now, <laughs> Perfect. but it's just like having empathy to the fact that the reason that my kid is here and I'm trying to work is because right. we're in a pandemic and it's impossible for me to, uh, my, my husband's working from home and we're all having to like raise our kid and try to work, uh, within the same four walls of our house. And I right. think going forward, people being able to just go, Oh, the reason that you are late for work is because, your child was sick or the reason you're not able to come in. I think just having that empathy and the understanding that, you know, we all have lives outside of work and Mm -hmm. that those matter. I don't know. Like I feel like on a very fundamental basis, just for some reason, it seems more uh, acceptable to uh, miss a train and be late because there was traffic than it is because your kid has a fever or that your childcare situation got messed up. Yeah. And I think Um, as a result of that cultural shame, right. Yeah. That's been placed on parents, women predominantly, we've all hidden our parental status for self protection. Yes. Um, and Emily Oster, you and I were talking about, uh, before we hit record here, but when I had Emily Oster on the, on the podcast just a few weeks ago, she was saying, and this is such an economics professor answer, right. But she was <laughs> saying what you as an individual can do also is to end parental secrecy and this is so important for men to do in particular which is like hey I'm leaving because I have a soccer game I need to get to or I'm leaving or I'm late because my kid was sick this morning like saying that while it feels risky is also kind of an act of radical acceptance to say like this is a valid excuse so deal with it (laughs) for lack of a better word (laughs) you know what I mean 
Yeah. But it feels scary to do. That takes um that takes a bit of power and privilege. And that's why Emily Oster said, managers, people with tenure, if you are eligible for that kind of a thing, whatever. Like if you feel more protected in your in your workplace, then that's a way to make it okay for others to say the same. Yeah. It's I mean, I it's so much more complicated than I ever expected. Like I did I have a, a chapter in my book about, you know, when I was like trying to decide and talking about how mm. complicated it is for for working parents and, you know, especially for women who are trying to decide whether or not they want to have children and are really kind of dedicated to their career and how confusing that can be. And I'm five months into this in a pandemic where I'm, mm. you know, trying to promote a book and do a podcast and, yeah. and, you know, stay kind of relevant while I also try to raise my, my small boy while my husband works full time from home. And I'm just kind of like, Oh my God, how do people do this? Like I was, when I was pregnant, I was home all the time. Yeah. I didn't have to commute. I, if pe I didn't want to tell my clients that I was pregnant, I didn't have to, cause I was on zoom. They couldn't see right. me. It was, I felt like none of their business, but I also didn't expect to feel afraid to tell potential mm. clients. I didn't expect that. I thought, oh, you know, people are a lot different now. And that, but no. Mm. no, in some instances, no. For the most part, everyone I told was totally fine about it. But it feels, it felt scary. Uh, just yesterday, I put a little disclaimer in my sub or in my uh, email footer. <laughs> that was complete with like baby emojis that said like, this is your one month warning. Like I'm yeah. out of here in yeah. a month. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely feels scary <laughs> to put right? in there, but yeah. I've already told all my clients and I have a team at my company now, which is of course a game changer compared to the solopreneur route, but like, yeah. but still putting it out there. <laughs> we officially made the call yesterday cause we're at the one month out from maternity leave oh mark and i'm like i don't think my clients remember i don't think they remember the timing so i just probably give not. them a little heads up especially too because if they're not all seeing you in person and all oh, of yeah. your very pregnant glory it's easy to right forget. it's totally easy to forget also pregnant women look different all the time so like right i look like i could pop tomorrow knocking on wood <laughs> at the moment so i don't but like my girlfriend, who's two weeks ahead of me, looks like she has just a very chill little melon under her shirt. And I yeah, look it's like so interesting, isn't it? extremely pregnant. You're and I'm like, like, how's this going to grow for another six weeks? I don't know. And yet her baby could even weigh more than yours does. Right, 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 right. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. We could, we could compare notes on self-funded parental leave, by the way. We should do that uh, I mean, at some point. It's but... super fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the? How like, it's fine, this... but it's like. Gosh, this would yeah. be easier if I worked somewhere else. But then I would be miserable, so who knows? Oh, my God. Yes. I've I've gone back and forth on that a lot yeah. as well. And I, one thing you said that really stood out to me that I think is the basis of so many of our, our fears, and by our, I mean women in general who are mm -hmm. thinking about kids, who are convinced they don't want kids, or who mm -hmm. have decided to not pursue children, or can't, or whatever, or have. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I stay professionally relevant like that is the fear right that that oh, is yeah. it in a oh, nutshell so deep in the pool at the moment <laughs> yeah and I don't want to poke your your nerves here but like yeah. there's something to that that is it your it goes back to your book like does work have to be this inhumane like yeah why is that even the question when we have right. more than half of the world's workforce 
has been having babies for forever. I know. So like what an absurd, but very, uh, relatable fear that I wish with like deep sadness wasn't so relatable. I know. And it's also like, uh, just as I was afraid that any client that I told or my publisher or my editor, anybody that I was, you know, very pregnant or was due when they wanted to do an event or whatever. Um, I was only ever, as far as I know, met with, uh, total professionalism and acceptance and like, Oh my God. Yeah, of course. You know, fine. Like, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. You know, more than, more than I thought. Um, but then then, then it's like, well, where does it come from? Because if I've not personally experienced, like, I, I don't know right. if so much of it is like horror stories, if maybe the landscape has changed, but I don't, I don't think from everyone, everything else that I'm hearing and reading in statistics, right. it, I don't, I don't think that it has changed that much. It hasn't changed enough. Um, yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's so, it's really hard. And I think too, <laughs> yeah. it's just the, it's the acceptance of, I am different. My brain mm-hmm. is different my Mm -hmm. the uh how do you like the priorities that I have I mean duh I have a child to keep alive so that's (laughs) kind of top priority but you know it's it's more subtle than that it's just like oh the I I am fundamentally my identity everything about me is different and yet then when I meet people uh from you know before I had a child so I met with my publicist last week for my publisher and he has kids and he's like you know asking about my baby and everything. And, and then I remembered, I'm like, Oh, I am still that person. It's just, it's just like this really weird existential crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I write (laughs) about it in, in my book about the identity expansion. I think becoming a parent has to be one of the biggest identity shifts we'll ever, ever embark upon. Yeah. And it's, I think to your point, it's like both internal and societal, right? It's like internalized messages, mixed with society's messages. Yeah. And it's maybe it's getting better. I hear the optimism in your experience, right? Like I certainly think yeah. it's getting better. Um but we have a lot of agency as self-employed people that most folks don't. Yes. And, and the thing is I am uh, I look white and so then my yeah. experience will be of people accepting me as a yeah. as a white-looking person. Right. And I'm in a heterosexual relationship. So it's just kind yeah. of like, there's all of these things where it's Privilege. like, there's people yeah. listening to me like, yo, of course your experience has been okay. You know? Right. Um, and that, and you know, and that's part of it. And totally. Uh, it's so for, I mean, I'm thinking almost like of the people with the mm, baby boomer or older, you know, white male boss who has always had a stay at home wife, you know, yep. taking care yep. of kids. That whole experience is going to be different. Yeah. And so hopefully the world is changing for the better. Um, But working without losing your mind is still a challenge Mm. worthy of a book (laughs) to like guide you through it. And terrible at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. It's certainly great for your book, but terrible for the world. Terrible. I know. There's been a lot of, uh, it's been interesting that there's been, I think it was in uh, the New Statesman here in the UK who pointed out like, why are there so many books about like by millennials. Oh yeah. About how tough work is at the moment. And it's like, well, because it's terrible. And <laughs> like, I think the presumption in that question is like, is it you? Is it you guys? Is it your generation? You guys are whiny, right? And yeah, I'm yeah. like, um, no, no, don't just, think so. You know, 
we haven't benefited from the system by any means like like y'all yeah. did before us. So well, I can't wait to see what happens with Gen Z because it sounds like they're just opting out of the ambition save world. <laughs> Shrek. Yeah, they're gonna save they're, us all. They're no like, never guys. mind. You're, they're just like this whole thing. I'm yeah. out. Uh, as someone with two ba- uh, Gen Z younger siblings, it's kind of interesting to watch them navigate yeah, their first couple years. To experience it up close. Yeah. I should They're interview them on the pod. <laughs> yeah, um, right? Tell us everything. <laughs> yeah, right? On that note, tell us who you wrote your book for and where we can get our hands on it. Yeah, so I wrote this book for basically millennial women, people. I mean, because some of this is, you know, very kind of... Uh, women specific, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it is universal. It's about work stress. Um, and you can get my book on, on Amazon and audible. Um, and you know, if eBooks are your thing, that's available as well. Awesome. And where should we keep up with you? Where's the best? Um, I'm on Instagram as Kate Mm -hmm. Sophia and the same on Twitter. Awesome. Um, I'm more on the stories than the feed. I have to say these days, but you know, nice. (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll drop links in uh, today's show notes. And thank you so much, Kate. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Cheers, you too. To get all those links and to learn more about our Level Up Leadership Accelerator, head to bossedup.org slash episode 348. That's bossedup.org slash episode 348. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Today, I'm so excited to give a hearty shout out to Kylie. Kylie's a longtime personal friend of mine, first of all. She and I go way back to to my days in politics. Uh, And she is a local Coloradan who I have the pleasure of hanging out with here on occasion. And this week, we're especially celebrating Kylie and all that she is and all that she's accomplished um, because she was recently quoted as a subject matter expert in the Washington Post. Now, Kylie is an alum of both our Speak Up Assertive Communications Accelerator and the Level Up Leadership Accelerator that I told you about earlier. And one of her main goals behind enrolling in our leadership program, specifically in Speak Up, was her desire to become more of a spokesperson on behalf of the global organization she works for. Throughout her time in Speak Up, our eight-week accelerator, Kylie practiced clearly and concisely articulating herself around the issues, which are very kind of complex and heady, including cybersecurity issues and and the politics of the internet, quite frankly, uh, that she's an expert on, including giving her finale week talk, which is how we end the Speak Up program with this fun, intense (laughs) showcase with all of our clients, showcasing everything that they've learned over the course of eight weeks. Uh, And her talk was all about user privacy settings on Venmo. She helped me lock down my privacy settings on Venmo. So thank you, Kylie. Just a few months after she finished Speak Up, Kylie was quoted in the Washington Post as a subject matter expert on behalf of her workplace all about apps privacy settings regarding our contacts. So it's very related to the subject matter that she taught us about at at Speak Up. And we are so delighted to see her getting credit where credit is due and really representing her company well. Congratulations, Kylie. 
We're so, so proud to see you achieving your goals, achieving the kind of recognition that you totally deserve. And for those curious to learn more about how lots of apps on your phone use all of your personal contacts and how to make sure you're protecting your privacy, you can read Kylie's great quote in the article that we'll be including in today's show notes. It's in the technology section of the Washington Post. You can even listen to the article, um, and the title is Lots of Apps Use Your Personal Contacts. Few will tell you what they do with them. Ooh, ominous. I'll link to that in show notes so y'all can check it out. Now, if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to break down on an upcoming podcast, let me know. Give us a holler at info at bossedup.org or call the podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And I'm going to be heading out on maternity leave soon. I, as you can tell, uh, I'm a little breathy. I'm very pregnant. Uh, and we are going to be announcing what will happen with the podcast while that happens here in just a few weeks. So <clears throat> the moral of the story here is that I really appreciate all of your support your listenership, your loyalty over the years, your regular sharing, rating, reviewing of this podcast has been such a help to me and to the whole Bossed Up team over the years. And uh, we're kind of nervous. I'm kind of nervous about our plans around the podcast and my mat leave. I'm nervous about lots of things right now, I guess. Uh, you know, giving birth, all of those things, becoming a mom. I don't know. It's all kind of intense right now. So... I appreciate your patience with us as we navigate whatever the hell comes next. And I'll be making an announcement uh, in just a few weeks here on the podcast. So that's your cliffhanger for today. Stay tuned for more details on that front. And thank you again for being a loyal listener. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you found it helpful, share it with the folks in your world who you know could use it. And uh, I'll be in touch with y'all very soon. I'll be in your earbuds soon. Now, in the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose, and together, let's lift as we climb. Mm -hmm.